And you're listening to Louisiana Considered here on WWNO and WRKF. I'm Patrick Madden. On the show today, what will the impact of the Supreme Court's decision to overturn Roe v. Wade be on the upcoming elections in Louisiana? And as we get ready for the fall classic, as in the World Series, LSU's baseball team will be well represented. Represented, We'll talk to a former LSU baseball coach. And it's officially election season, so we're going to break down uh, some of the uh, issues and amendments on the ballot with Stephanie Grace, editorial page director and columnist for the Times-Picayune New Orleans Advocate. And you can always read Stephanie's work at NOLA.com. So let's just start there. Uh, Welcome, Stephanie. Happy Friday. Happy Friday. Stephanie, uh, one of the b- really big questions, and it's in he- it's here in New Orleans, and it involves mm-hmm. the uh, uh, New Orleans City Charter Amendment, and I think this one uh, has is is very interesting to talk about. Um, essentially, uh, if voters support it, the council will will have to approve eleven administration department heads identified in the charter, including the police superintendent, starting Mm -hmm. next year. We've talked a lot about the tension between the mayor, uh, the council, um, some of the fights that have happened this year, uh, and it's hard not to separate some of these fights with with this amendment. So, So give us, you know, just your overall thoughts on this issue and the context for it. Right. The context certainly is what you just said, that we are in this period of really, really heightened tension between council leaders and Mayor Cantrell. This was sponsored by J.P. Morrell, the vice president of the council. You know, they had to vote to to put it on the ballot last spring when, so there have been many fights since then. And I think a lot of people kind of forgot that this was out there, but here it is on the ballot, um, November 8th, early voting going on right now. And the proposal is to change the city charter so that, as you said, the council will have approval rights over the specific department heads named in the charter. It would also give the council the ability to kind of by ordinance claim approval rights over department heads not named in the charter, but who have executive functions. And this, I think, probably would happen because, you know, we've seen kind of the last few mayors have have reorganized city government. So there are positions, there are many positions with a lot of authority that are not named in the charter. So it really is you know, it's a political issue between them, absolutely. Um, if you didn't think so, just look at how it got on the ballot. The council put it on the ballot, the mayor vetoed it, and then the council came back and overrode her veto. So certainly there's tension there. JP Morrell has talked about specific um, appointees of Mayor Cantrell, including the man who just, who came out of the short-term rental industry and still had interests and was overseeing short-term rental enforcement. Um, but he also points out that it is not personal towards the mayor. He he also cites Greg Mefford, who was a tech guy who ended up going to prison under, you know, who worked for Mayor Ray Nagan. So, you know, there is this argument that it is about the structure of city government as opposed to politics. It's really about both. Um, And one of the interesting things that happened is that the Bureau of Governmental Research, which is, which did kind of a deep dive into, you know, the the policy matters aside from the politics, has endorsed it, has basically looked at similar cities and said, most of them do this. Um, And BGR is a nonpartisan, nonprofit exactly. And they, um, you know, they also looked at, they said Jefferson Parish and St. Tammany do this. Now they do have 
those parishes have a different form of government where the executive is much weaker and the council is much stronger kind of by design. Uh, New Orleans is known for having a very strong mayor's office. Um, but another thing they pointed out, which I think is worth noting, is that the council already has approval over kind of board appointees. So, you know, this isn't a path, this isn't really that new of a thing. It would claim some power from the council, um, you know, for the council from the mayor. Um, this is a very, very ambitious council, as we have discussed many times. Um, so that's, you know, so that's kind of the backdrop to it. And of course, it's also coming against the backdrop of this recall petition. Right. So again, it's very hard to separate the politics. And, you know, one of the things that's kind of happened is there isn't really much of a campaign for it or against it. So people really should, you know, I would suggest reading the BGR report, which is excellent. Right. Um, and our, our paper has endorsed it. I should I should add that. And and Stephanie, uh, and again, we're speaking with Stephanie Grace here on Louisiana Considered. Stephanie, you mentioned the ambitions of the council. I mean, yeah. this also comes during a budget season, so that exactly. seems to play into this too. Of course, and of course, and and the council, you know, it's generally it's not a it's a, it's designed to be a weak council compared to a strong mayor. But there are certain areas of authority that the council has, and one of them is budgeting. So this is, you know, November is always their moment because the mayor submits a budget, as she did this week. November, they hold hearings and they adjust it and they come up with their own budget and approve it. By law, they have to do that by December 1st. So we're just going into this season that should be really interesting because, again, there is this existing tension, longstanding, over all kinds of issues, the mayor's travel and you know, how she's using these kind of independent funds that she's controlled, a lot of things in court, problems with sanitation. She, you know, they did sign a new sanitation contract this week. So they're optimistic that that will improve, although they're still in court with the old company. Um, but, you know, the kind of interesting thing with this budget is there's a lot of money to spend. And, um, you know, the federal money, their revenues are back up, approaching what they used to be. There's a lot of federal money. The mayor wants to put a lot into police, into blight remediation, into infrastructure, fixing some of the, you know, cleaning catch patients and fixing right. streetlights and things like that. So in theory, there's a lot that they should all agree on. Right. However, I, you know, I do expect politics to. And this this one amendment arise. is just one issue on the ballot. Yes. Uh, I suggest uh, for the state uh, uh, amendment questions, uh, the local amendment questions, go to our websites, uh, mm -hmm. wrkf.org. go to nola.com, go to all the different um, nonpartisan outlets out there like PAR and BGR uh, to, to mm -hmm. read up on these amendments as we get closer to Election Day. Uh, Stephanie Grace, thank you so much for joining us on Louisiana Considered. Thank you for having me. And you're listening to Louisiana Considered here on WWNO and WRKF. I'm Patrick Madden. Abortion rights are set to be a driving issue in the midterm elections and a chance in some states to protect abortion rights at the state level. But in Louisiana, the upcoming elections won't change the near-total abortion ban now in effect. As public health reporter Rosemary Westwood found, that leaves abortion rights supporters faced with the question of how to fight back. On a recent morning, a group of phone bankers sat around a conference table at the offices of Women with a Vision, a reproductive justice organization in New Orleans. They were dialing up voters across Louisiana. Hello, may I please speak to Ms. Quinice? Most, like Iris Banks, didn't use the word abortion. 
it tends to make people hang up on them. And today we are speaking to you today to inform you of the Louisiana statewide decision regarding family planning and the rights to women reproductive rights. The phone banking efforts are part of a larger push among progressive groups to boost voter turnout ahead of the midterms. Women with a Vision and other abortion rights advocates know this election won't bring back abortion rights in Louisiana or reinstate Roe v. Wade, the Supreme Court decision that had protected abortion rights for nearly 50 years before it was overturned this summer. Here's Executive Director Dion Haywood. We are not going to get Roe back right away. We are not. It won't happen. But she does hope these elections will mobilize a new era of support for abortion rights at the polls and beyond. Michelle Ehrenberg, co-executive director of Lyft Louisiana, which lobbies for reproductive rights, said this and future elections will be vital. If we don't start voting on this issue and really scrutinizing the candidates on this issue, then we really don't have any chance of restoring access in Louisiana ever. Louisiana's politics is dominated by conservative Christianity, and it's one of the most anti-abortion states in the country. 70% of the legislature voted to ban nearly all abortions this year, including some Democrats. And in nearly all of Louisiana's congressional and Senate races, anti-abortion Republicans are favored to win. But Ehrenberg said the results of the midterms could reveal growing support for abortion rights if more people show up to the polls. Definitely going to be looking at voter turnout. I think that that will be a big indicator. A series of national surveys have found that women are particularly motivated to vote in the midterms, and some Louisiana Democrats are making abortion rights central to their campaigns, like Katie Darling, who's running against Republican Steve Scalise. And about Louisiana's new abortion ban, one of the strictest and most severe in the country. John Cuvion, founder of JMC Analytics and Polling, said that abortion rights could spur voter turnout, especially in parishes with more white-collar and professional women. Think East Baton Rouge and Jefferson. Those would be the places where if there were any kind of upsurge in Democratic support in Louisiana over that one issue, I would expect to see it there. Haywood, who runs Women with a Vision, thinks abortion rights activists need to show people how abortion and the ability to choose when or if to have children are deeply connected to a range of other issues, including housing, health care, education, and the economy. It has to be a part of the larger narrative. It can no longer be in a silo over there called abortion land. It has to be included in every oppression that people are feeling. For Ehrenberg, there is also some hope in Louisiana's next legislative session. She thinks there's a chance to pass laws that expand access to contraception and prenatal care and try to tackle the state's maternal mortality crisis, where black women who give birth are more likely than white women to die. If people are going to be forced to carry pregnancies to term in Louisiana, then we really need to be pushing to make the conditions in which they are bringing those forced pregnancies to term uh, better for them. Ehrenberg said the challenge will be to keep the people who are angry about the loss of abortion rights motivated for months and years to come. Because, she said, it's going to be a long battle. In New Orleans, I'm Rosemary Westwood. And you're listening to Louisiana Considered here on WWNO and WRKF. I'm Patrick Madden. Tonight is the start of the 
2022 World Series as the underdog Philadelphia Phillies prepare to take on the dominant Houston Astros. Among the players facing off are Phillies pitcher Aaron Nola and Astros third baseman Alex Bregman, who not only uh, played baseball together at LSU, but were also roommates. To learn more about the journey of these players from the Tigers to the big leagues, Louisiana considered its managing producer, Alana Schreiber, spoke with former LSU head baseball coach Paul Maneri. Former Tigers and former roommates are meeting in the World Series. That's pretty exciting. Can you give us a little bit more background on each of these players, Alex Bregman and Aaron Nola? Who were they when they showed up at the Baton Rouge campus, and who were they by the time they left? Well, uh, I could tell you the story on each one of them. Really, I could tell you the story on every player that I ever recruited to LSU. There's a tie-in here, Alana, with uh, Aaron's older brother, Austin, who just uh, finished the season when they lost to the Phillies in the league championship series, and Austin was the starting catcher for the San Diego Padres. But Austin uh, came to LSU, he's three years older than Aaron Nola, and he became our starting shortstop late in his freshman year. And following his junior year, which happened to also be Aaron, his younger brother's senior year in high school, both of them were actually drafted by the Toronto Blue Jays. So I was certainly concerned that Aaron would even attend LSU. I thought he might opt to sign a professional baseball contract instead, as I was concerned that Austin Nola might sign a professional baseball contract and forego a senior year. But what worked out for LSU and for Paul Maneri is that they, the two boys had such a deep affection for each other as brothers and they had never experienced playing on the same team together. When Austin was a senior in high school at Catholic High here in Baton Rouge, Aaron did not make the varsity team as a freshman. And so they did not play together in high school. So their only opportunity to play together was going to be at LSU. So that was a wonderful thing for us. And Aaron came in and he had a, a very solid freshman year, was in our pitching rotation. And then at the end of the 2012 season, uh, Austin graduated. Aaron is now going into his sophomore year. Well, in our incoming freshman class, we had a young man named Alex Bregman. So Alex replaced Aaron's older brother, Austin, as our starting shortstop. Aaron becomes the SEC Pitcher of the Year and an All-American. And Alex Bregman, as a freshman, is a consensus All-American as a shortstop. So our 2013 team with Aaron as a sophomore and Alex as a freshman was a very special team. As we mentioned, they weren't just teammates. They were also roommates, Nola and Bregman. And even though they both played baseball, they seem to have pretty different backgrounds, right? I mean, Nola is this local kid from Baton Rouge, whereas Bregman comes from a Jewish family in Albuquerque, New Mexico. What do you remember about their personalities, what they were like on and off the field? Alex. Um roomed with Aaron when Aaron was a junior and Alex was a sophomore uh, and they had just had that one year together as roommates and they had a, a tremendous relationship they became very good friends besides both of them being critical players on our team and I would have to say that if you took a vote of the team I'm sure Alex Bregman would be voted as the messiest locker and Aaron probably would have been voted as the biggest country boy on the team. <laughs> Aaron, Aaron really wasn't much of a party animal. 
He liked to sit around the apartment and play his guitar and sing. And Alex was a kind of a fun-loving guy. Uh, didn't worry about much stuff. Uh, he was he was a really bright kid and a good student, but he just was so in love with baseball. He didn't care about anything else except for going out and having a little bit of fun at night. They were both you know remarkable kids. I feel very privileged and blessed to have coached both of them. Oh wow, that sounds fun. Well, as you mentioned. Aaron Nola was not the first Nola at LSU. His older brother, Austin, was shortstop as a Tiger and is now a catcher on the San Diego Padres. And, you know, these two brothers just faced off in the NLCS. It was pretty incredible. One's a pitcher, one's a catcher. And it was the first time in playoff history where two brothers faced each other at an at-bat. So just for you, what was that like to watch these these brothers, these former teammates playing against each other. Surreal is the best word to describe it. So Austin was my first exposure to the Nola family. And Austin was just the most wonderful young man that you could imagine. See, he didn't start as a freshman until game 41 of a 56-game schedule. And I made a very bold decision. Most people called it a crazy decision at the time. But I decided to move DJ LeMayu off of shortstop and move him to second base and insert Austin Nola as a true freshman and started his first game. We were actually ranked fifth in the country at the time, but I thought we could be better. And I thought Austin could make us better. And I, DJ obviously turned out to be a tremendous second baseman. He's won gold gloves in the major leagues as a second baseman, but it really shook up our team. But the results speak for themselves. We went 28 and five the rest of the way and won the national championship. So Austin really was the, the poster child for LSU baseball as I saw it because he was unselfish, waited his turn. When he got in there, he performed in a tremendous way. He was a tremendous teammate. He was an outstanding student and he did more community service work than anybody. Then baby brother comes along, you know, three years later and all he does is set the world on fire as a pitcher. So, you know, watching the two of them go against each other was was really unique. And, and I love the fact that they both were in that position. But at the same time, I was going to be glad when it was over because I knew what was one man's enjoyment was going to be another man's heartbreak. Austin got a big hit against Aaron and Aaron lo lost the one game to the Padres. Uh, but at the end of the day, the Phillies qualified for the World Series and Austin Nola's season is over, kind of licking his wounds from losing to a baby brother. I'm sure it's going to make for some very interesting conversation at Thanksgiving time. We are speaking with former LSU head baseball coach Paul Maneri, who is giving us a little bit of insight on the former LSU baseball players in the MLB postseason. Not only are there two former Tigers facing off in the World Series, but each of the final four teams in the NL and ALCS also had LSU baseball players. We mentioned Austin Nola on the Phillies, and you mentioned DJ LeMahieu on the Yankees, currently injured, but a Yankee nonetheless. In fact, Tigers have actually made it to the World Series on 43 occasions, won 19 times. What do you think that says about the LSU baseball program and the kinds of players that you produce? There's no program in the country that has greater history and tradition than LSU baseball. And, uh, of course, Skip Bertman was the one that took LSU baseball to a completely different level when he came here in 1983. You know, baseball wasn't really that serious of a sport in the Southeastern Conference, Atlanta. And there was one school, Mississippi State, that was taking baseball very serious. They had a coach by the name of Ron Polk, 
A few years later, Skip came to LSU, and all of a sudden we've got this tremendous rivalry between two two universities in the SEC. A lot of fans started to come to the games. And so that's what happened. It kind of grew the Southeastern Conference. You know, Skip Bertman won five national championships in a 10-year period. So when you do something like that, you're going to jump to the top of the heap and it just created such great history and tradition in the LSU baseball program. Before I let you go, this year we have the Houston Astros defending ALCS champion team. They have yet to lose a single game this postseason. And then we have the Phillies, a team that has been so surprising to everyone because in any other year they wouldn't even have been in the postseason, right? You know, we changed the wild card system this year. So it almost feels like they snuck their way in here and now they're in the World Series. It's kind of like this David versus Goliath story. So I do have to ask, what are you expecting to see in these games? Who do you think will ultimately win? Who are you rooting for? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've been asked that question. In fact, I did an interview earlier today with the local TV station, and I refused to answer the question on the grounds that I don't want either Alex Bregman or Aaron Nola upset with me. So this is what I want to see in a perfect world, okay? Aaron Nolan goes out and pitches a phenomenal game on Friday night, shuts out the Astros and wins, but gives up three hits to Alex Bregman. They're the only three hits he gives up in the entire game. The next day, with Aaron Nola not pitching, Alex Bregman leads the Houston Astros to victory and has another big game. And then we'll just kind of see how things go after that. Oh, we have been speaking with former LSU head baseball coach, Paul Maneri, thank you so much for joining us today. And I hope you enjoy watching the games tonight. I'm happy to be with you. And you're listening to Louisiana Considered here on WWNO and WRKF. I'm Patrick Madden. And that's going to wrap up our show today. We want to thank all of our guests. We spoke earlier, as we always do on Fridays, to Stephanie Grace, the editorial page director and columnist for the Times-Picayune and New Orleans Advocate. You can always read Stephanie's work at NOLA.com. We also heard a report from our public health reporter, Rosemary Westwood, and a conversation between Alana Schreiber and former LSU head baseball coach Paul Maneri. And coming up on Monday's Louisiana Considered, we have a very special show as we have the Coastal Desk uh, taking over on Halloween. So it should be a very special, dare I say, spooky show. It will have a Halloween twist as we learn how a Cajun festival in Terrebonne Parish is emphasizing sustainability. And also we learn about the best ways to recycle your costume and also why urban planners like to measure neighborhood safety with something something called the trick or treat test. So tune in to Louisiana Considered on Monday, Halloween, for a special Coastal Desk Takeover. Our managing uh, producer for Louisiana Considered is Alana Schreiber, and our digital editor is Caitlin Umholtz. Our engineers, Garrett Pittman, Aubrey Purcell, and Thomas Walsh. And you can always listen to Louisiana Considered Monday through Friday at noon and 7.30 p.m., It's also available on Spotify, Google Play, and wherever you get your podcasts. And some sad news uh, to report that just crossed the wire. Jerry Lee Lewis, the rock and roll pioneer from Louisiana, 
has died at the age of 87, known for uh, great balls of fire, a whole lot of shaking going on. Uh, tune in to NPR for um, more on the life uh, legacy of Jerry Lee Lewis, who, again, was from Louisiana. And looking ahead to Election Day, uh, you can go to our website for uh, an election guide at www.org. NWRKF.org will also have coverage from NPR beginning at 7 p.m. on election night. So, so join us on election night for coverage from NPR. Everyone, have a great weekend. This is Louisiana Considered. Major support for Louisiana Considered provided by Rouse's Markets, a Louisiana shopping experience. More at rouses.com with additional support from the Sazerac House.